And we are back. We are back. Welcome to the Sock and Shop Pod. And, you know, we're pumped to be here. Is is our 14th episode? Are you serious? 14. Two weeks. Daniel, name your favorite app. 14. Ooh. Um, Starlin Castro when he was on the Yankees. I don't know. Dude, I don't know if I can name one athlete with the number 14. 14 is a very underrated number. Let's see if we can find it. So quick exercise. Athletes with number 14. Was Ira Nubel was totally 14. I'm Googling that. Okay, let's see. Ira Nubel. That's my prediction. Ira Nubel, number 14. Okay. Bang! Oh. oh, no, that's number six. That's number six. Who? Ernie Banks won number 14? I call that a conspiracy theory. What? What? I don't think that's what a conspiracy theory means. Daniel, you'll Yo, see. You'll, I'll see. You'll see. <laughs> so, fans, if you know anyone that wore the number 14, 14. number 14, Ernie Banks, number 14. Love that. If, if our fans have any famous guys that wear the number 14, reach out to us. Yeah, let us know. This is very important. Did John Havlicek? Oh, Sammy Watkins wears 14. Okay. Wait, I thought we said only good players. Oh, Allen. Sam Hawkins is a good football player. I know. I think I'm just a little salty that the Browns didn't take him. I remember that was like a big uh, conversation if we could t- if we should take him at. I think we had number four that year. Yeah, yeah. Who did you pick? Probably Justin Gilbert. Let me oh, check. Nice. Yeah, I think you did, yeah. No, he was eight, right? Yeah, but we traded back. Here, let's check. As you can tell at the Sock and Shelf pod, we come very prepared. Super prepared. I, I'd say the most prepared. Daniel, the part of the beauty, though, is we just see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. th- that's what it was. The Browns traded with the Bills, um, and the Bills took Sammy Watkins with the pick. Who won, who won that trade? Oh, wait, Alan. Bob Cousy won number 14. Bob I believe. Cousy. Oscar Robertson. Yeah. Okay. Daniel. Okay. Daniel. Should we, should we move forward? Uh, fans, why don't we stop since it's a live show? Wait, is it? No. No. Oh. Okay, fans, I think you'll want us to move on. So let's move on. Let's move on. So big week in sports. NBA playoffs. You got Celtics, Cavs, Warriors, Rockets. Stanley Cup is now set. Washington Capitals against the against the Vegas Golden Knights. Congratulations. Congratulations to both those teams. Should be a great series. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, just big time in sports right now, getting into summer. We're now on summer break. Made it through finals. Yeah. So, feeling good. Yeah. And, uh, excited for the summer ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what's up? You know, um, the team – that most recently made it to the finals for like three, four years in a row from the West. Yeah, 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 the Warriors. What if we had another interview? with Another another interview with another Warriors writer? We got another interview with Mark Medina or Mark I I, I believe Medina. I believe Medina. Medina's a place in Ohio and, you know. Okay, I see, I see. So with Mark Medina – um, beat writer for the Golden State Warriors. And this was a really fun, great interview. So yeah. enjoy. Enjoy. We now welcome to the pod Mark Medina. Mark is a Warriors writer for the Mercury News. He previously worked for the LA Daily as a Lakers writer. We are uh, honored to have Mark on the pod. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So um, let's just jump right in. What's your overall sense of uh, these playoffs for the Warriors compared to the last three years in those runs? Well, obviously, uh, it all changed year to year where 2015, that was kind of their 
uh, moment to, to prove themselves that they could win an NBA championship. There was a lot of rhetoric going in that jump shooting teams don't win NBA titles, but they proved otherwise. 2016 uh, was on the heels of them wanting to prove that the previous year wasn't a fluke and they set the NBA record in regular season wins. And I think that that gave them this aura of invincibility, but that wound up kind of catching up to them with that uh, coughing up the three, one series lead, mm -hmm. you know, last year was a breeze in the playoffs. They went 16 and one, but I think there was still a lot of elements in play of a wanting to rectify that lost NBA title in 2016. And, uh, Kevin Durant specifically winning his first NBA title. So when you look at this year, the challenges have been a little bit more unique where there isn't that extra element beyond the idea of wanting to defend an NBA title and having teams like the Rockets stockpile the rock in the off season uh, in hopes of giving them a, a pretty good shot. And obviously with the series now two to two, uh, either scenario could play out. Yeah. And, and what would you say the overall vibe for the Warriors is going into this pivotal game five tonight? Yeah, I think Draymond Green said it best after practice yesterday where he said, yeah, we're kind of pissed off. We, we gave up a, a really good opportunity, but we're also encouraged. And I think the reason why they feel that way is in a weird, twisted way, the Warriors really respond better when they feel pressure situations, <laughs> specifically with this season. There's been a lot of times where it's been, frankly, hard for them to get up for games because they know they need to, A, preserve their body and, and their health for the long haul and being able to play in you know postseason games from April to June. But from a competitive standpoint, you can't replace the adrenaline rush and the pressure that comes from playoff moments to regular season games. So I think when you've looked at the Warriors in these past few years, they've been able to handle adversity well. Um, and when you look at this series specifically, you know, the Rockets came out in game one with a really strong start. The Warriors got in foul trouble. Draymond Green got a technical. And they were a team that was able to, to withstand all those different emotions coming into play. And they were able to basically dominate the rest of the game. But I think when you fast forward to now on the heels of this game four, the Warriors unraveled, not because of those pressure situations, but because it just seemed like fatigue was starting to get the best of them, where all of a sudden they're dealing with injuries, they're dealing with you know, their core guys having to play much more minutes than usual. Um, so we'll see how all those two elements play out. So tonight, big game five in Houston. So what's the key, do you think, for the Warriors tonight to bounce back from that fourth quarter, especially where they were awful offensively, really sloppy? Yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to have to have much more efficient nights from Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. That goes without saying. But I think the main thing is really just their energy level. It's amazing how much of a difference a game makes when they exert their complete focus and discipline defensively. And the Warriors did show that at times in game four. It was a low-scoring affair. So there's no question behind this. They, they're going to have to manufacture offense. But I think after the Warriors got off to that 12-0 lead to open game four, um, you know, they kind of let down their guard a little bit. And I don't think the Warriors can really afford to do that. And I think the good thing is the Warriors know they can't afford to do that because of the fact the series is tied. They're playing on the road. Houston suddenly has confidence. They might be playing with a shortened rotation with Andre Iguodala and possibly Clay Thompson, not just being out, but even if they're playing, being limited um, because of their health. So I think it's all hands on deck, and uh, I could see either way of the Rockets winning this game or, or the Warriors. I think that both teams have shown that when they're playing at their best um, – you know, the, the, the disparity between the two teams aren't isn't that steep. Yeah. And I think um, one thing that always uh, excites me and interests me about the Warriors is how uh, is Steph Curry's uh, commitment to the game and his pregame routine. You wrote a great article about Steph Curry and his work with Bruce Frazier before the game. Uh, are you able to talk a little bit about Steph Curry's commitment to the game and specifically his pregame routine? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, what's interesting about Steph is he kind of has the mind that a lot of great scorers do. When they don't shoot the ball well, it doesn't phase them. It doesn't make him lose confidence. He forces himself to have amnesia. Now, that being said, he is a student of the game. So if there are mistakes he's making in terms of his shot selection or where he's getting his shots from, he definitely watches film, analyzes that. But it's not something that's going to you know, make him lose confidence or focus. And I think specifically with the work with Bruce Frazier, it's really cut two ways throughout this season where a he's doing this thing, these things that he, any NBA player would normally need to do in terms of having a shooting routine down, but it's a real collaborative effort. Um, They they have what they call the menu where they determine, you know, how many shots are we going to get up today? You know, where on the floor is it going to come from? Is a lot of it going to be off the move, off the catch? Um, And that varies practice to practice now it's, it's safe to say that Steph's going to always be shooting a lot of threes he's going to take a lot of foul shots he's going to take a lot of jumpers but the rhythm of, and timing of it changes throughout um, the season because he wants to stay fresh he wants to avoid the idea of it being monotonous and he also kind of wants to add new tinkerings to his routine based off of how he feels good or bad and then the second thing with Bruce um He's, he's really been a good outlet for Steph, you know, kind of expressing his frustrations. This year, he had four different times where he had to sit out because of injuries to his right ankle. And then, as we know, he had the grade two MCL sprain mm-hmm. in his left knee that sidelined him for the last 10 regular season games and the first six playoff games. And during those times, you know, Steph Curry is uh, seen as a very positive person, but He's also human, so there's definitely been times that he's been frustrated with the progress of his recovery, just the idea that he hasn't been been able to play. So Bruce is kind of the conduit of that because he works with him on such an intimate level on a daily basis. Um, He's kind of a guy that has the window of, you know, what makes Steph tick and, you know, just how he's kind of Hmm. dealing with the ebbs and flows of the season. Yeah, that's very interesting. Definitely. Wow. Yeah. So um, before you were with the Warriors, you, you covered the Lakers and uh, specifically you covered Kobe's farewell tour. What what was that whole circus like? Yeah. I want to clarify. I was with the LA daily news for five years. And then before that I worked as a blogger uh, for the LA times. Mm -hmm. So in its totality, that was from 2010, the middle of their championship season then. And then, um, up until 2017 last year. Um, and yeah, covering Kobe's farewell tour, it, it felt like it brought everything full circle because I don't have the full perspective of covering um, the beginning parts of his career, you know, maybe the good parts of him being this young up and coming star and him finding his way in the league. And then some of the down moments in terms of, you know, the Colorado situation, his issues with Shaq, uh, the criticism that he got in the initial aftermath of can he be that guy that wins an NBA title without Shaq. Um, so I kind of caught Kobe at the the twilight of his career where he started to feel at peace of winning an NBA championship. I saw his personality evolve where um, you never mistook him for Magic Johnson. He was a guy that that was very businesslike. He got to the point. He didn't waste his time, you know, with members of the media like myself. But I think as the years went on, you could tell that he started to be more open. He started to be at more peace. He was more engaging. And you can always weigh to what degree did that have to do with business, marketing, legacy aspects. Um, that, that's something that all professional athletes are aware of. But I think it also was a window into, you know, Kobe – becoming more sure of himself of what he meant to the game and, and being able to to ease his competitive uh, edge a little bit. And it also helped that, and he'll be the first to admit it, his last season, they were god-awful. They, they <laughs> yeah. won oh 17 games. He was hurt all the time. They had a lot of young players. Um, you know, there was a lot of tug and pull within the organization and with the players themselves with Byron Scott where – 
Um, some of the young players didn't necessarily like how he uh, adopted these tough love, uh, high expectations. Uh, but then there are veterans that did appreciate that. Um, so within all that, I think if Kobe were to keep those competitive edges burning, it would have driven himself crazy. So I think from just a practical level, he knew it, it wasn't really worth it. So he was able to kind of let his guard down. And um, yeah. as much as he played with full passion that season, you know, most notably with that 60 point performance, as soon as the game ended, you could tell that he was, you know, more in a reflective mood about his career and, and kind of charted what the next chapter would be once, yeah. once it was all said and done. Yeah. And, um, one last question to wrap it up. We'll make it a little bit of a fun question. <laughs> um, what do you think? We were just talking about Kobe. Do you think his pro basketball career is what he'll be remembered for, or his new filmmaking career in Hollywood? He's already <laughs> one for one. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what's the bigger accomplishment? Five championships or winning an Oscar, right? Right. I think- Ooh. I think at the end of the day, he's going to be known for his NBA career. I mean, who knows where his business ventures take. I think, you know, the the interest in Kobe Bryant obviously has to do with him playing basketball. It's not a matter of, oh, he makes these nice short films and he's doing these detailed segments for ESPN. The reason why people are interested in that is because of how great Kobe is as a basketball player. And it offers a window into how sharp of a mind he is. Yeah. Um, you can really tell the, the passion and enthusiasm he has for that craft with what he shows in that work. But I think, you know, to Kobe's credit and, you know, it's, it's given me a pleasant surprise. I know it surprised others around him. He's even admitted it himself. He was able to make that transition pretty seamlessly for post NBA life. And I think that there was a feeling that he had that, um, you know, maybe within the next year after retirement or even a few months, he would start to feel the itch of wanting to play again. And uh, he said that hasn't come back. And, you know, he, he told me when I did a story on him last year about his filmmaking ventures, that he said in a, in a weird way, the fact that he had all these injuries at the end of his career with, First, you know, tearing his left Achilles tendon in the end of the 2012-13 season and having a left knee injury that required surgery the next season and then having a torn rotator cuff in his uh, right shoulder in the 2014-15 season and just battling all the wear and tear and recovery and dealing with those ailments his final season, that that made him feel more prepared for post-NBA life for two reasons, he was out off the court for a substantial amount of time through all those different overlapping injuries. So that gave him time to, to brainstorm and come up with what he was going to do. And then secondly, I think that also helped him not miss the game because he remembered just how much of a process that was uh, to get your body up and going to play a game and then having to deal with the recovery rinse and repeat. So I think in Kobe's mind, he squeezed every single thing out of his body that he could uh, show on the basketball floor. And he's mm-hmm. going to leave it at that. And now he's, he's ready to tackle on a new challenge. Yeah. Well, Kobe kind of, it, we were, people were kind of nervous about it because Kobe was so like relentlessly passionate about excellent, achieving excellence on the court. And like, what happens when that, when there's a void there? Right. And that was the thing that he was concerned about. But, you know, specifically when he had the Achilles injury, he was going to be out for at least six to eight months. And so he spent his time doing two things. He was dealing with the daily monotony of his rehab and it took really slow, but he stayed disciplined and, and not skipping steps. But there was a good amount of time that he was immobile. So um, you might recall there was a documentary in Showtime that he helped produce that came out the following year. Mm-hmm. He wound up working a lot more extensively on that documentary because he wasn't playing. So I think if you look back and, and the big what if, if these injuries didn't happen in his career, you always wonder, well, would he have been able to win more NBA titles, et cetera, et cetera. But I think another what if question with that is, 
would he have been able to make that transition as seamlessly of being able to leave the game behind, but also knowing what's the next step for him. I think, you know, because it's Kobe Bryant, he would have been successful in whatever he pursues because of his branding and his name power. And the fact that he is a competitive person, if he commits to something, he wants to do it well, but that time off can't be overstated enough in the significance of all this, because it really, you know, kind of forced him to deal with the reality that this transition is going to come sooner or later. Right. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank having you. you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate the time. Yeah. Thank and, you for uh, coming on. Good luck tonight to the Warriors. All right. Sounds good. All the best to you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Right, goodbye. That was a good one. That was great. Yeah. Thank you to Mark Medina. Great interview. You know, it, it means a lot to us. You know, he took time out of his busy day. It's game day for the Warriors. Uh, yeah. Houston. So, you know, it, it means a lot that he'll, uh, he took the time. Daniel. Yeah. I, um, what I really enjoyed about the interview specifically, obviously I enjoyed a lot of it, but I enjoyed the whole thing. But nice. Um, one part in particular that I really liked was I thought it was cool that he has like the Warriors experience, but also the Lakers and Kobe Bryant experience. I thought that's like a really cool perspective. Yeah, definitely. Just being around teams for a while, you get to know kind of how guys work. I liked hearing about the, um, the stuff that with Steph and the trainer, it's kind of yeah. like how, how he, like, he uses the, he, the trainer helps him work through stuff and now, uh, not just physically, but also just deal with the frustrations of being injured a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Daniel, oh, yeah. can I say a joke? Uh, if, if you want. Yeah. I, I heard this over the weekend, and I wanted to share it with all of our fans. Okay, yeah. you guys ready? Get ready, guys. And by the way, from 1 to 10, how bad is this? Um, what did the grape say when it got stepped on? Oh, what did it say? Nothing. It just let out a little wine. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of wine, ooh, wine and gold are the Cleveland Cavaliers' colors. Speaking of wine, it's LeBron's favorite drink, and LeBron plays for the Cavaliers. Dan- See, now you got your transition game going. You know yeah. who doesn't have their transition game going? Who? The Cavs. Wow! Bang! Oh. Bang! Yeah. Um, is LeBron tired? He did not look 100%. He looked 80% last night. I don't think he's hurt. I think stuff catches up to him. And I don't mean, like, him specifically. It catches up to everyone. But, you know. You think you think he could have, like, a virus or something? I don't think he has a virus. I think if, if he has a virus, it's called he's played 15 years going to the finals most years. They, I, I have never seen him gassed like that. He was gassed. Like he was making mistakes, and and I, uh, Jeff Van Gundy had a great point last night. Like if this was anyone else's normal game, if this was if anyone else, Daniel, you know what I'm saying. Help me out. Yeah. If this were any other player, look playing like LeBron did, it would it would be like wow. Like you know, it's fine. Yeah. Not a big deal. We scrutinize every little detail with LeBron. Right. And and I thought there were some many little things and. And LeBron, he showed off his memory again, which was unbelievable. But there were a couple of passes that he would normally nail that just weren't there. And and I was watching the game with my dad last night, and we both saw that there was one point when LeBron passed it to Corver, and LeBron normally gives perfect passes, but this pass was like a little low, and and. That, for someone like Corver, especially when he knows LeBron usually gives him a great pass, that throws him off a little bit when it's a little low. And, and um, I just thought it was a little weird to see that, honestly. Yeah. Sorry, I'm doing a little bit of math. That's okay. And so I'll keep on talking. I love talking. And and I, I think the the weird thing is, and I saw Ty Lue was trying to manage LeBron a little bit. There's nothing wrong with being human, 
meaning playing 35 minutes a night. And I think I do not want to say LeBron was a liability to the team out there because I don't think he is. But at times when he's tired, bring in a Jeff Green, bring in a Chetty for a little bit of a boost. And and that allows LeBron to get to 100% so he can be the most effective LeBron, which is unbelievable. And I am just buying time right now because Daniel's doing some great math, but I'll keep on sounding confident. There we go. I have I have a lot more to say, great. but but I don't know. I feel like it's the sock and shop pod. I want to hear what Daniel has to say. I'm ready in a minute. Okay. I'll I can keep on talking, Cass. Also, I think one thing that's really weird is that the backcourt uh, on the road just doesn't show up. George Hill, J.R. Smith. And, and it's at home, George Hill was attacking the basket so energetically and so dedicated. I'm getting to that hoop, and it's just weird. Like, I know sometimes shots don't fall when you're on the road, but you should still be able to play with the same intensity. And, and that's what confuses me about uh, – about a George Hill. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Daniel needs one more minute. Need one more minute. Should I praise the Celtics? Yeah, I think you should. They had a good game. I don't know. I want to I wanna analyze LeBron a little bit more. Let's do it. LeBron? I don't know. I don't know, Daniel. Daniel, are you ready for us? I, I think – I don't even know if I, I have to do the math. I definitely didn't. I didn't have to do the math. <laughs> oh, my God. Shout out to Basketball Reference. They did it for me. I did the math, and it basically worked out the same way, but, like, slightly different. Okay. okay. Yeah, I was, 10, I was 10 off. Okay. Okay. We're back. We're back. Okay. Firstly, shout out to the Celtics. They really took it to the Cavs. I saw some. I was watching a little bit of Get Up this morning on ESPN. Great and show. Getting Up. It was good. It was, it was, it was fun to watch. And uh, Jalen Rose pointed out something that – I didn't really notice. The, in, the, in the first or maybe early second quarter, there was a bit of a scuffle between uh, Larry Nance and uh, who was it? it was, um, Morris. Morris. Okay, so, so Marcus Morris and Larry Nance got into a little bit of a scuffle. Yeah. And all the Celtic guys were learned, engaged, and got involved. All five guys were so immediately surrounded, were immediately, or all four of uh, Morris's teammates of the Celtics were immediately there. Um. <laughs> And none of the Cavs helped out Larry Nance. No one. Whoa. Their their, their, uh, body language was indifferent. And I'm not saying, like, that's what what caused it. But, I mean, you you get a sense about each of these teams throughout throughout the whole season. The Cavs seem like a team of not necessarily of individuals, like, in a personal sense. I'm not saying they're selfish people. But a, a team of individuals, at least in a basketball sense. And the Celtics are more of a team, a collective team, a collective unit. Which Danny, is why they've been Danny. able to handle the losses they've had, like the losses, the personnel losses that they've had so 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 seamlessly. Daniel, but being there for a teammate when they got into a fight, that's not um that's individuals, meaning right. that's not a that's a team not being together. Yeah. You know? They should be there for here. I'm watching the film right now. This is really interesting. You pulled up the video? Yeah, I'm watching This is it. a live reaction, everyone. Raw. Raw stuff. Wait. Okay. One second. So you're saying that Nance gets up, pushes Morris. All of a sudden, Rozier shoves him. Smart's going after look, him. Let's, let's, let's pause it and look at who's there and look at, look at where guys are. Okay. And just give a play-by-play. I'll give a quick radio call. It's literally a one-on-four. There's that. Nance is surrounded by Terry Rozier, Marcus Morris, Aaron Baines, and the, the only guy Jalen Brown. Up, all five. The, of them. the only guy who breaks it up is Jalen Brown, stopping his own teammates. Just Clarkson's just lounging. LeBron's watching. Green's watching. You know who had the greatest assist of the night? Who? Auntie Zizich. Oh man, what do you do? Daniel, are you watching the film? No, I'm not. Is just fill me in. I caught this last night. Jr. wanted to get involved. Zizic, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. big hug. Yeah, good, uh, good call. Hey, yeah. can, we, can we call him a friend of the podcast? Yeah, can we call him Z? Yeah, I was calling. I was calling. 
No, it's called oh. ZZ because Z is already someone. Yeah, I know. We can't do that. Dude, even Ty Lue is in, in there. Brad Stevens is. Right. And LeBron's walking over the ref and talk. Oh, oh, no. I'm not saying it's indicative, but just the energy level was so much higher from the Celtics. Obviously, they're almost unbeatable at home, these, these playoffs. But just the, 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 the youth is there. The, like, in, like Jason Tatum after the game said, like, I just love playing in these games. And it didn't really look like the Cavs. The Cavs were like playing ball, but it didn't like look like they were feeling it, you know? Yeah, and I think, uh, firstly, I would just want to point out that after Larry Nance did that, the Cavs had a really good run there. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's something there. But you were saying that Newman, I forgot, you said, oh, the Cavs. Okay, watching the intensity of the Rockets and Warriors game, it's a whole different game. The, the Cavs don't even look like they're playing the same sport. Right. And it, it really just shows how much is just LeBron. Like, they, like obviously, like Kevin Love is a good player. They have good players, but it's not really – they're not guys you'd expect to see on a team that can go to the finals. They're guys who maybe be like, be like the eighth or ninth guy, but they're starting, you know? Yeah. And as a Cavs fan, though, it's very difficult to see the lack of effort because I think mm-hmm. – I'm not qu- – I'm not. I think they're trying. They're definitely they're trying. It's not. But the, the, I don't see the emotional investment. You know right. what I'm saying? The that you see all three other teams in the Easter in the in the playoffs are going so hard, and um, I just don't see enough of it from the Cavs. And, I, and you're a Cavs fan. It's not like uh, you're trying to bash them. Right. I love them. I want them to win. Um, and any, any time I criticize, it's for the positive. Daniel, why don't you give a quick rundown in your eyes on how the young guys for the Celtics have been playing? And how Wait, but Alan, I, I had a whole math thing ready. Oh. Then I'll do that. I'm ready. Okay. But we for, but I, I didn't throw in the math stuff. Okay. We talked about is LeBron tired? He is tired because LeBron James in, in his career has played – 44,298 minutes. I'm nauseous. In the playoffs, he played, he's played 9,776 minutes. If you add that up. 53. Wait. 54. 54. 54,074 total minutes. Yeah. That's a lot of basketball. Okay? That's a lot, a lot of basketball. That's even a lot of 2K. That's, that's a lot of anything. Yeah. They, they say, like, how many, how many hours is that? 10,000. It's about, it's a little less than 10,000 hours, right? No. Uh, yeah, a little less. No. Yeah, 54, 54,000 divided by 60. Oh, oh yeah. 900 mean, hours. How much? 900 hours of only gameplay. We need to hit 10,000. He probably will, but the point is, like, that's insane. That is insane. So I can't blame him for being tired when he's been playing into June for the last seven, for the last seven, almost eight years. It's it's funny, like, because it's such a longer season. If you ended in April versus June, there have been guys who've been off for almost two months now. Right, and and you were just hinting to it. It's two more months of the grind. It's all the shootarounds, all the practices, all the film work. It's, it's, yeah, it's a lot. And also, when you also like when every game you have to carry such a big load, that he's he that, like somehow he's against all odds. He's been, you know, defying the odds and extending his own prime, despite the insane workload, which has only picked up over time. Yeah, what do you think the Celtics are going to do this off season? They have a log jam of talent. I think the Celtics. I mean, I don't know their contract situations, but assume right? assume non-factor. Assume it's not a factor? Yeah, everyone. I mean, why not just stick with it and run it back? And add Hayward and Kyrie into the picture? Yeah, I mean, obviously what they can also do is they can trade trade some of the assets. But why would you give up an asset for other potential assets when the assets you already have are so young? Yeah, I can. Why why would you, like, want to flip a Jalen Brown when Jalen Brown is the age of some of the draft picks? Right. Daniel, but what what makes me nervous, though, about a team like that is 
they might have too much talent, like to keep everyone happy. You know, That's possible, but I don't think I don't think the problem is necessarily too much talent. I think it's just too many talented guys. Yeah. So like, yeah. They're, they're not like the guys they have. They're not like all superstars. They're just all really good. Right. So like. And- and I think what we're seeing, though, is when you have a bunch of really good guys with a good coach, that's great. Okay, I'm pulling up their cap information. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Get yeah. your fingers ready. Yeah, well, I'm already on something. Okay, wait. Can you count for me? Yeah. Kyrie Irving, put up one finger. Got it. Whenever I say a name, put up another finger. Okay? Got it. Marcus Morris. Marcus Smart. Terry Rozier. Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. Do you always say Hayward? No. Okay. I don't think so. Fans let us know. Aaron Baines and Shane Larkin I'll go with. That's ten guys who can play meaningful minutes. Yeah. Do you and, and you think, okay, at the end of the day you can have a ten man rotation during the regular season. They should run it back. Okay. Oh, my God. What? Hayward and Kyrie have the same birthday. What? Yeah. What day? March 23rd. Wow. Every year, I think. Every year. It's crazy. Okay. So, here are the free agents this offseason for the Celtics. Marcus Smart, Aaron Baines, Shane Larkin. If I'm them, if I'm them, I bring back Smart. Um, I worry less about bringing back Baines. Um, oh, and Monroe is a free agent. I wouldn't resign Monroe. Mm-hmm. You don't know the impact he has behind the scenes, though. You know, I don't know the impact he has behind the scenes, but I'd rather, I you know, or, I don't know. I, I would rather prioritize saving up money to to resign Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum when the time comes, because those guys are Brown's being paid under five million a year. Tatum's being made a little, being paid a little over six million a year. That's not going to be enough to keep him. Terry Rozier's under contract. He's a free agent next year. I mean, Jalen Brown and uh, Tatum are free agents in 2020-2021, uh-huh. respectively. But still, I wouldn't want to be, bo- um, be bogged down in, in all this cap with guys who are, to be honest, like pr- fairly replaced. Like, no. Yeah. And, and I think uh, – I agree with you. I think they should re-sign Smart. I think it's a huge part of their identity. And Alan, guess how old Marcus Smart is? 24. 24. That was good. Thanks. So, like, he's, he, you think he's like 30? Yeah. Right? But he was in college a few years ago. You know, he, he's a guy who not only is a very important, like, glue, glue guy, like, you know, does the dirty work, but he also, like, he's a guy who's growing into, ta- like, into his abilities. Like, he, he didn't come into the league as a jump shooter. Now he can hit, he can hit threes. And right. And he can run the offense. He sets the tone defensively. I, I would make sure. I would make sure to keep him. Thought, I hope they don't do this, but what do you think if they package a couple of the young guys for Anthony Davis? Uh, I don't know. Uh, here's why. Davis is insane and he's great, but, I mean, they're a really good team right now. Without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, I, I wouldn't I, – I think if you um, – I think if you add – Another guy, like even though Davis, like potentially the like arguably like a top, not even like a top three player in the NBA, probably uh-huh. arguably, I guess, but he's really, really good. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I wouldn't mess around with that. And also, that that means you're basically. I think the Celtics are in a perfect situation right now for a, a lasting potential dynasty. I agree. I they, think they have guys for a while, like. They, they have a lot of young guys who are under contract into, into the 2020s. Mm-hmm. Daniel? Yeah. Um, I think they should keep the score, not bring in AD. I think it's always weird vibes when you switch things up, especially when a team is doing well, you know? Yeah. Daniel, um, speaking of doing well, one place we did the, really well this week was the mailbag. Can we spice, the, spice it up real quick and jump into that? Spice it up. We got a short mailbag this week. Daniel, but... That's okay. No, but... Yes, that's okay. 
It's okay. Never it's mind. fine. Um, can I read the question or yeah, the first read, one? Read. Okay. Why don't you read the one you have first while I bring okay. up the next one? Give me a second. Okay. Second two. Let's race. This is, this is a question. You won. Yes. This is a question from our, our good friend, Josh Katz, friend of the pod. Oh, one second. Um, just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Sovi. Um, we're good players, become great professionals. Thank you for all the love and support. From day one, you're the man, Sovi. Go ahead. Right. Why are the Vegas Golden Knights so good in their first year? How come we don't see expansion teams this successful in other sports? Well, that's a good question, Josh. And if you just look at the uh, Vegas Golden Knights roster. Daniel, can I give that a shot? Yeah. First of all, when we're talking the other big three sports in America, there hasn't been an expansion team in a long time. Right. Um, Important to put that out there. And from what I understand about how the Golden Knights did it, I think the NHL was very generous in their expansion draft qualities, meaning um, the team, the other teams were only able to keep a certain amount of players, which allowed um, the Knights to scoop up someone like Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, a really established veteran goalie. And um, yeah, look at me killing the hockey talk. Yeah. Um, And Fleury is their goalie, right? He is their goalie. And I think it's, um, and, and I think that's the reason, in my opinion, uh, from what I know, the NHL gave very generous expansion uh, rules. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they, ha- they, they were able to bring in these like, established good players, like Jonathan Marchessault, the, the center. I believe he played, previously played – I don't want to mess this up, but I think he played before for the Blue Jackets. Am I wrong? Who? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I played for the Winnipeg Jets. Oh, no, they played against the Winnipeg Jets. Who did he play for before? Who? Jonathan Marchessault. Marchessault? Marchessault. Oh, he played for the he played for the Panthers. Sorry, my bad. Ooh, Sovi. Um, did I say Blue Jackets? Yes. He he did play at one point for the Blue Jackets. So love that. Boom. But uh, he he's been the, he's probably been their best player this year. Also, William Carlson. He might actually be their best player. Forty three goals, seventy eight points. They had um one two three four five six seven guys over forty points, and eight. Nine guys over 30 points. Wow. Balanced and team. Points points per game, like yeah. basketball? <laughs> no. I don't know what points are, right? Yeah, I do. Assists or goals. I was just... Assists plus goals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm about. So like, that's really Daniel, good to get balance. Okay. And they had good goaltending. And, like, you know, when you have balance and you have good goaltending, we have Mark, a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been there before, won a Stanley Cup. And he could handle the Fleury, you know? Ooh. Daniel... Hot yeah. take. Right. Okay, can we just okay? Um, I, I think we answered that question well. Um, don't let me forget about Ben's question, but can we just go into the hot take real quick? Brilliant. This is our hot take. This is our hot take. Wow. All right, brilliant. Let's we, go. We have not discussed this. We have man. not discussed this is live reaction. I have no idea what's about to happen. Daniel, are you nervous? A little bit. Why? I don't know. We're partners. Yeah, but who knows, you know. You never know. Not, not, we're going to be partners. That's not the question of who knows, but who knows what, what you're about to say. That's what I'm saying. Love that. Yeah, let's go. My personal hot take is that OPS, not OBS, OPS in the MLB, which is batting average, nope. uh, on-base percentage plus slugging, Yep. I would argue is one of the most meaningless stats in sports. Meaningless? Why? People say it's the most, the most, one of the among the most meaningful stats in baseball. Yep. So I turned on the TV last night, and or uh, two nights ago, I think it was. Yes, everyone, be proud of me. I know how to turn on the TV. There we go. Uh, actually, at my house, it's really difficult. That's for another time. But yeah, we, we can get into that. It's it's not straightforward, but. Um, I'm turning, I turned on ESPN not last night, two nights ago, and the first stat they have isn't batting average, meaning when it's like batting average, home run, RBI. The first thing is OPS, and I'm thinking, Daniel, why does it matter? I don't care 
about I think the most important statistic is on base percentage. After that, it doesn't really matter. Think about right, so Alan, Alan, you realize you're saying the most important stat is half of the least important stat. Yes. So why do you hate slugging percentage so much? Because what does it do for me, Daniel? What it's it cool. It, tell, it, it, it tells you if a guy – it, it sums up basically if a guy is hitting not just singles but extra bases. Okay, yeah, which are of a lot of value. Daniel, in in a in a game where being successful thirty percent of the time is unbelievable, yeah. I don't care if that thirty percent is a single, double, or homer. Well, it makes yeah. a huge difference, though. What? It makes a huge difference. Why? Because a double can be a difference in a win or a loss. A double could be can drive in two or three guys. A single may just drive in one. Or, you know, it, it makes a huge difference. No, there's I, a home run and a double. Huge difference. Okay, wait. So the argument is that it's... Would you rather have a guy who hits 50 doubles or, or 50 home runs? Holding everything else equal. 50 home runs. Right. So that's important. And that's what slugging percentage tells you. And OPS combines the two. Because... I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up Moneyball a little bit. In Moneyball, um, what's his name? Billy Bean. What? Billy Bean. No, I know I know I know Billy Bean. Paul D. Podesta. Yeah, Paul D. Podesta. Um, he figured out that the most important the the the, the stats that that correlate most with runs scored, which is the stat that obviously correlates most with wins, are on base percentage and slugging. Okay, fine. So that, oh, that's why. That, that's why. Bet. Uh, what's her name? Daniel. You want to hear a savage comment? Bring it. You got to trust Paul D. Podesta, right? Look what he's done with the Browns. Ooh. Oh. Nice. nice. Oh. Nice. Woo. Uh, that was hot. And savage. Paul, you know I love you. I appreciate all your efforts, and and I think you've you've been a huge part of this turnaround and i hope it continues um that was just a joke daniel yes okay but you got what i'm saying though i hear the hot take that's why it's a hot take i kind of i kind of put put out the fire a little bit but that's okay 100 percent. that was a good hot take right yeah but i hear with a counter hot take that it's the most important stat at least at least least in baseball because like i think like you want to hear the least important stat in baseball yeah. Wins by a pitcher. Yes. Agreed. Great. Happy we covered that. Because, like, I remember a few years ago where uh, Nathan Uvaldi of the Yan- previously of the Yankees, now he's retired, but he had, like, 15 wins with a 4.5 ERA because we gave, the Yankees gave him an average of seven runs a game of run support. <laughs> That's crazy. So, doesn't mean you're a good pitcher if you get wins. I mean, obviously there's a correlation, but, you know. Yeah. Um, it's... It, 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 in it, in, of, in it of itself, I think I said that right, um, doesn't actually tell anything. Okay. It, should we do the last mailbag question and wrap it up? Yeah, let's go. Love that. So, from our good friend Ben Jaffe, huge fan of the pod. Okay. So, anyone that follows our Twitter account, which is all 55 of you guys. I think 56 now. Nah, I think we dropped back. Or we dropped down at another 55. Or did we drop back up? I think let I just. See, let me see. Uh. 56. 56. Let's go. Yes. Um, this is huge. So I tweeted a amazing picture of a steak. Yes. I'm a really good cook in my humble opinion. No, no, I'm not a good cook. I'm good at what I'm good at. What? Yeah. You heard that. Quote that. Write it down. Frame it. I'm good. As at what remember, I'm good Alan at. is good. At, at what? What did you say? At what I'm good at. Alan is good at what he's good at. Love that. Meaning, I am very good at cooking what I know how to cook. Meaning, I can cook a piece of meat. Not perfect, but I'll do a nice job. Hey. Pasta. I got you. Rice crispy treats. I got you. Nice. Wait, I, I don't know how to make those. I just thought you would hit me with, like, Alan, there's nothing to do in Rice Krispie Treats. 
Uh, I, I'm impressed. I don't know. <laughs> okay, whatever. I'll take it. So the question is, following up on the steak picture. Oh, my God, Daniel, we're making T-shirts with the picture of the steak on it. Following up on that steak picture, what other secret talents do you have? Daniel, what's the secret talent of yours? Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't prepare for this that well. Podcasting uh, isn't one because everyone already knows that. Oh, oh, that's fine. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I thought it's not a talent. I, I don't know. Whatever. I got the answer. Wait, wait. What is it? Um, sc- scrolling through Twitter, I think. For you or for me? For me. Oh, nice, nice. How about you? I, I would say you're good at that too. I'm good at that also. And, uh, I'm good at the retweet without comment. <laughs> you know what we're good at, if I may what? say so? Yeah. I think we're really good at getting guests on the show. Yeah. And I hope we can continue. And, and fans, we're open to having anyone and everyone. So if there's someone you want to hear, let us know. Um, if there's a certain genre. I don't know why I said that word. Yeah. If there's a certain sport specifically or certain whatever. You like to hear about, let us know. Let us know. Daniel. Okay, wait. Um, for some reason, I snap with my pinky. That's something weird. I don't know if it's like a talent. but I, I Let snap me hear it. it. Let me hear it. It sounds like a normal snap. It's not really like a... I, I feel... Know, I, I do it with my pinky, which is weird. I, I kind of get my whole... It's the whole hand. And I don't know. Whatever. I feel like that was a YouTube video. I don't believe it. No, it's true. I, I've definitely done it when you were there. Okay. You've seen me. Whatever. The point is... That, that's all I got, which I, I don't know if I should be proud of that or kind of sad about. I don't know. Whatever. Daniel. Yeah. I think we should wrap it up. I think we should wrap it up. But before before we go, I want to – the NBA draft combine was this week. And uh, I wanted to talk about Mo Bamba's wingspan. <laughs> it's 7 feet 10 inches. Wow. 7 feet. That is that's bigger than my wingspan. Believe it or not. Bigger than mine, too. Wow. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever met I don't know. Put your arms out. Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely not that. Yeah. It's definitely not 7'10". I can tell yeah. you that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I, I always enjoy the draft combine. It's fun. You know, see how tall guys are without shoes on and with shoes on. Ooh. Maybe in a game in the NBA, their shoe might fall off. Hey, you never know. Because, you know, it's very important how tall you are without shoes. Or maybe people will start wearing heels. Maybe. Ooh. In the NBA. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a way to up your draft stock. Love that. Daniel. You can't move at all, but you're, you're really tall. Speaking I of, I don't know how to connect this. Um, Daniel, do you smell that? Smell what? I smell a little cologne in the air. Um, oh, you know my goodness. It's nice transition. Co- it's Bartolo Colon's birthday. It is his birthday. Happy birthday to Bartolo Colon. He's 45. 45 and still, still pitching pretty. Yeah. And with that, fans, it's been great. Yeah. Until so, uh, next time. Shout out to Bartolo Colon. Happy shout out to, to Anchor. Shout out to Anchor. Anchor, thank you for helping us make our podcast dream a reality. And uh, shout out to Al Horford, who's the anchor of the Celtics defense. I did it backwards this time. That was great. Transition. Go Cavs. All right. Have a good one, guys. Hope you enjoy. Bye-bye.